This morning, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. We're going to begin our reading at verse 6 and then read through verse 34 of this chapter. Acts chapter 6, 16, excuse me, chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. What we hear now is God's Word. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are this Sunday in our second Sunday of Mission Emphasis Week. Uh, last week, I was so blessed uh, by the ministry of Reverend Murphy as he unfolded to us the Great Commission, a commission given to all who are in the church. Uh, Wednesday night, we gathered and, and, and heard a report of the work of that commission from Reverend Wang. And he told us about the work going on in Anaheim and the Chinese church developing there. Also hearing reports from our brothers in Italy, Reverend Brown and Reverend Ferrari. And it's good to remind ourselves the gospel continues to go out. It goes to the nations. We see that by the flags up in front of church. The gospel is not just for us. The gospel is for the nations. It is for the world. This morning, I want to be encouraging to you to remind you that God continues to advance His church through the preaching of the gospel. God continues to call those whom He has chosen into fellowship with Himself. I want to give you confidence. The work of missions is not something only in the New Testament era, but God continues to do that work today and continues to call us to that work. We are looking here in the book of Acts at Paul's second missionary journey. And we will see how God himself will direct that missionary journey and how God himself will bring those whom he has chosen into fellowship with himself. I'd like to read also, you don't have to turn there right now, I'd like to read also the theme verse for these past two weeks, past week I should say, from Isaiah 65 verse 1. Listen to this. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Just think about this second part, second part of that verse. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. We will see the truth of that statement in our study of this part of Paul's second 
missionary journey this morning. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. God's overruling the work of missions. With Paul's second missionary journey, we might say that um, it had a couple of false starts in what their plans were and what they actually did. Paul's intention, uh, back in the previous chapter, verse 36, we read this, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul's intention was simply to go back to the churches that were planted during his first missionary journey just to kind of check up on them and see how things were going. We will see that God has other plans for Paul and other plans for the ministry. God overrules uh, Paul's plan to work out his own plan. Look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, we don't know exactly how that uh, came about, but they, they knew that God did not want them to go into the region of Asia. God said no to going to that place. He had other plans for them. Verse 7, <clears throat> And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Once again, God says no. They want to go to Bithynia. No, I don't want you in Bithynia. I want you someplace else. He goes on. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. God had said, no, don't go to the region of Asia. God had said, no, don't go into Bithynia. And now they are in Troas. And here a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God had said, no, don't go here. God had said, no, don't go here. And now through this vision, God says, yes, the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, come over here, and, and they knew this was God directing their ministry. God says no, and God says yes. And I have to confess, there have been times when trying to make decisions, I wish God would be that, uh, that deal that way with me. Send me a vision. Just let me know. Send me a vision of someone saying, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Um, some of you know I've changed careers a couple of times in my life. I think this is my last career, but I've changed careers a couple of times in my life. And you never know exactly what is it, how are my gifts to be used by God. And Paul had these visions or just a knowledge given to him by the Holy Spirit. And I, I like to say, Boy, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if God did that today? Send visions like that. And then, when I begin to think like that, I have to remind myself, God has given us something clearer than visions. Clearer than messages somehow from the Holy Spirit. 
God has given us the clarity of His holy word. A word that we can read, a word that we can study, a word that the Spirit will apply to our hearts and to our decisions. And there are times when we are are considering making choices that the Word of God clearly says no. We don't need visions, we don't need signs. The Word of God clearly says no. Young people, if you are in a dating relationship with someone who is not a believer, and you are considering marrying them, you don't need to look for signs or visions. God has said, do not be unequally yoked. God has given you the answer. He has said, no. If you are considering taking a new job somewhere else, moving somewhere else, and in that new place, there is no Christian church, there is no preaching of the gospel, then don't wait for a sign from God to to decide if you should go or not. Your spiritual life is the most important. Perhaps, perhaps there is a Christian church there, a good solid church there, but, but this job will be one where you will not be able to honor God's holy Sabbath day. Then don't wait for signs and visions. God has said clearly, we are to keep his day Holy. There are times when God very clearly says, no, we don't need signs, don't need visions. His word. His word is sufficient direction for us. There are times God clearly says, yes. Should I, as a husband, be be self-giving toward my wife? Should I love her sacrificially? Don't wait for a sign. The answer is clear. Yes, we should love our wives even as Christ loved the church. Should, do I, as a wife, really have to submit to my husband? Yes, you do. The Word of God is clear. Might God use me to share the gospel with someone else? Well, we heard last week, Reverend Murphy, that great commission was given to all of us to make disciples to go and to share the truth that we know. If you're waiting for a sign to decide if God wants you to share the gospel with someone else, stop waiting. Stop waiting. We heard last week, God has given this commission to all of us. He directs his ministry. He he puts us where he wants us. And that's what we see in this this, uh, this work that goes on in Philippi, how God brings the gospel to those who probably you wouldn't expect. Again, from our our theme verse, I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. We go on. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. They go to a colony of Rome. Rome that had nothing for the gospel. Rome that was not interested in Christianity. But here is where God directs them. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate 
to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down. Now, we haven't studied Paul's first missionary journeys, journey, but if you do that, you will see Paul's regular practice on the Sabbath day was to go to the synagogue and declare the word of God there. That was Paul's regular practice. Now, very likely, there was no synagogue in Philippi, this Roman colony. And so instead, Paul goes down to the riverside, goes outside the gate, where there's supposed to be a prayer meeting going on, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Again, we we would expect Paul to go to the men. That would have been the culture of the time, to go to speak to the men. They were the ones who had the power. They were the ones who had authority. But instead, Paul goes and speaks to the women, unexpected recipients of the gospel. And one woman there in particular. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Lydia, maybe you've heard her name before, children. Lydia in Philippi. Lydia was a very wealthy woman. Now, how do we know that? She is a seller of purple. Now, today, kids, if you want to buy a a purple shirt or purple socks, uh, all you have to do is drive to Walmart and you can find a purple shirt, and you can find purple socks, and you might even get it on sale. Not that big of a deal to find purple. At this time, purple was a very rare and expensive dye. To be someone who dealt with purple, a seller in purple, the the dye for this purple came from shellfish. And one of the resources that I looked at this past week said it took about 8,000 shellfish, 8,000, to get one gram of purple dye. It was very, very expensive to process. And this woman is a seller of purple, a wealthy woman. She is from Thyatira. Where are they? They're in Philippi. Lydia doesn't even belong here. She shouldn't be here. But but God is directing things. God is bringing her to where she will hear the word of the gospel. We read that she is a worshiper of God, which means she knew the God of Israel, but did not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens? She listens, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her whole household as well. The Lord opened her heart to hear the gospel. One who shouldn't have even been there, one who was very wealthy, and God comes to her. And her heart is open, and she receives the truth. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. That's Lydia. One who was not looking for God, one who was not seeking God. God came to her and opened her heart. An unexpected convert to Christianity. We read verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain 
by fortune-telling. Now, we don't know this girl's name, not told to us, but we do know she had a spirit, an evil spirit in her, a spirit of divination. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turns and speaks to the Spirit. <clears throat> now, wasn't it true that these men were servants of the Most High God and they're proclaiming the way of salvation? Why does this disturb Paul? Why does this annoy Paul? What's going on that, that this is troublesome to him? After all, she's speaking the truth. Well, I tried to think of a contemporary, somewhat contemporary example. If you imagine back in the early 1900s, uh, maybe the 1920s, you're a church at that time. It's a time of gangsters, it's a time of mobsters, and, and, and on a Sunday, you're at your church and a big black limousine pulls up. And out of that limousine steps Al Capone, the gangster. And he says, this is a good church. You should be going to this church or you'll be sleeping with the fishes. That's not the kind of endorsement you really want for your congregation. That's the sense of what's going here. This, this demon-possessed, this spirit woman, speaking about the church. And even though she speaks truthfully, it is not helpful to the ministry. And so Paul is disturbed, and our text uses the word annoyed, and turns and says to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. We read that she was delivered from the Spirit. What we don't read is whether or not she responded to the gospel. We don't know if she became a convert. We might assume she did, but there's no clear witness in Scripture that she embraced Jesus Christ. But this contact with this slave girl sets up the next contact that Paul is going to have. Go on to verse 19. So when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison. They are brought to trial, we might say, before the magistrate. They are brought to the agora. They are condemned by the crowd. They are beaten and put into the custody of a jailer, the Philippian jailer. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. We don't know about the slave girl, what happened to her, but perhaps, 
perhaps the only reason that, that Paul interacts with her is so that he will be set up to interact with the jailer. A reminder that God, although he's in control of all things, sovereign over all things, God does use means, means to accomplish his purposes. He interacts with the girl, we do not know if she became a convert, that her owners might bring him to trial, that he might be put in jail and be in contact with the jailer. What happens? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's bonds were unfastened. God sends an earthquake, and the doors are open, and everyone's bonds fall off. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke, he wasn't being a very good job as a jailer. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Amazing. The chains fell off. The doors are open. The jailer wakes up, sees what's happened, and assumes they've all escaped. But Paul stops him. Paul calls out, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. I'm amazed by that. Now, it doesn't surprise me that Paul and Silas are there. What about everybody else? They could have ran. They could have gotten away. But, but somehow God restrains that too. We're all here. Don't kill yourself. You can go on. Jailer calls for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. This jailer certainly was not seeking God, but God would come to him. This jailer is brought to ask the most fundamental, perhaps most important question anyone can ask. Verse 30, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? One who had imprisoned people, one who had beaten people, one who was responsible for keeping them in prison. He asked the question, how can I atone for that? What do I have to do to make up for everything I have done? I've done terrible things. I've done awful things. What can I do to atone for the decisions, for the sins that I have committed. And Paul gives the simple answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's as simple as it is. Paul doesn't say, oh, you have to do these six things and then you'll be saved. 
Your salvation is not contingent about what, upon what you do. Your salvation depends on what has been done for you. Believe in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one whom God sent to atone for the sins of his people. What must I do? You don't have to do anything, Paul says. Believe in what Jesus Christ has done. And it is that same simple gospel that we can bring today. What must I do? Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, yeah, but, but Reverend Niemeyer, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the decisions I have made. What must I do to atone for my sins? The answer is just as simple. It is not what you do. It is what Christ has done. Simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that his blood was shed for your sins. Believe that truth, that he is the only one who could pardon you, and you will be saved. That's the glorious gospel, the truth that we are called to bring. What happens when, when this man hears this word, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? They spoke the word to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoicing along with his entire household that he believed in God. There's a change in this man. Having, having received the gift of salvation, having put his faith in Jesus Christ, he now because of that, lives differently. It's not as if he does these things, then that God will save him. No, he believes. And believing, his works follow. Rather than wounding, he is now healing. Rather than imprisoning, he takes them to his own, his own home. Rather than starving them, he feeds them. The change that comes over someone, knowing the glorious gift of salvation, and he responds with joy. Joy along with his entire household that he had believed God. Because God is ready to be found by those who did not seek him. This, this story in, in Paul's travels reminds us of that work. God is the one. Paul wanted to go certain places, God directed him elsewhere. And God directed him step by step, put him where he wanted to be. Even encountering someone who may or may not have been saved, but so he could encounter someone else. God, the God of means. And he continues that work today. And he continues to use means. He continues to use us to share the gospel. Uh, if you're like me, there are people in your circle of influence that you say, this person will never believe the gospel. This person will just, if I told them, they just won't believe it. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. God calls us to open our mouths 
I'm sure when Paul went in prison, he couldn't have imagined that his jailer would be one who would come to know Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe some of the others in prison with him. That, that's imaginable. They're all in a hard place. Paul shares the gospel. Oh, here's, here's some truth. But the jailer? I am ready to be found by those who did not seek me. God uses us to bring the glorious message of the gospel. And it may be the case, it may be the case that we share the truth with someone. There perhaps is something of a change in their life, like with the slave girl. They may not come to faith, but we don't know how God will use that encounter to set up another encounter. God, the God who uses means. God, the God who directs. God, the God who is in charge of the expansion of his church and the spread of the gospel. God, the one who calls us to be ready, to be willing, to be able to simply share the truth that we know. Jesus Christ is a sinner's savior. For God, God is ready, ready to be found by those who did not seek him, are we ready to bring that message? Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we praise you for your work in salvation. We recognize that our salvation is first and last of you, accomplished through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we have, because of his work, been brought into a saving relationship with you, made a part of your family. And Lord God, so often we, we take this glorious truth and we hold it as if it is a secret to be kept rather than sharing it with those around us. We pray that you would continue to do the work of missions, that you would continue the, the sharing of the gospel, we know, O oh God, you use means to accomplish your purposes. So we pray that you might open our mouths, give us a sense of confidence, a sense of assurance that we have the freedom to share the truth that we know, the simple message of the gospel with those around us. And we leave, O oh God, the results to you. For you will call your people. You will call those who are your own. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.